This week on Blue 58, things are going from bad to worse on the offensive line. Is there any reason for hope? After that, an issue that's been going on for years is making life difficult for the defense. And why is Aaron Rodgers off to a weird start this year? We answer that question and give you all the uniform talk you could want, and then some more. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of the Power Sweep Com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Got a big show for you this morning, this morning, this afternoon, whenever you're listening to the show. Just getting into the, the old morning radio talk uh, there for you for a second. But uh, before we dive in, I want to let you know that this is not going to be a Bears-heavy episode just because there's such a short turnaround between now and when kickoff happens for this week's game since it's happen- happening on a Thursday, just a day after uh we released this podcast, we figured it actually made more sense to just uh, just talk a little bit more about some other things, uh, have a little bit more fun, and we'll explain exactly what that means in, in just a couple minutes. But let's give you some headlines first and foremost. First off the bat, the Packers offensive line situation is just ridiculous right now. As of this recording, Kyle Murphy has been on injured reserve for just a few hours. Brian Bulaga is still presumably out on Sunday David Bakhtiari practicing, but still not all the way back from his hamstring injury. And the Packers have now signed offensive tackle Ulrich John, who now sounds more like a character from something like a fantasy novel, uh, to be one of their backup tackles. He could end up starting this week. Who knows? It's just a weird sort of situation for the Packers' offensive line. Two questions will come to mind. Uh, Could the Packers have done anything to avoid this? And could they be doing anything differently right now? Unfortunately, I think the answer to both of those questions is no. Over the past two years, the Packers have spent three draft picks on the offensive line. Uh, Jason Spriggs, Kyle Murphy, and Kofi Amici. Uh, Amici's not a tackle, played tackle in college, but he is not a tackle now, currently on the practice squad. But normally you would expect Murphy and Spriggs to be your backup tackles. Uh, The Packers also made an effort to re-sign a guy who has played a lot of tackle for them in the past in Don Barkley. Not an ideal backup, but he can certainly get the job done in a pinch uh, if you you have to go that route. He is currently on injured reserve and will be out for more than a month yet, uh, recovering from that ankle injury that he had in training camp. The only other option in terms of shoring up the tackle spot on the offensive line would have been paying big money to keep J.C. Treader in Green Bay. He ended up signing a $17 million contract with the Cleveland Browns, nearly $17 million. It's like $16,750,000, $10 million guaranteed. A lot of money for a guy who would not have been a starter in Green Bay. He would have been a backup center, guard, and, and perhaps tackle. He has played exactly one career game uh, at left tackle, and that was in the playoffs a couple years ago. He, he just sort of was a pinch hitter at tackle while David Bakhtiari came back from an injury. That's really not a sort of investment that you want to make just to shore up the tackle spot. It would be tough to, to really see something different the Packers could have done in this situation. So is there something else they could be doing right now? They signed Ulrich John, who started three games at tackle for the Cardinals last year after spending some time on the Miami Dolphins practice squad. Originally, he was a draft pick of the Indianapolis Colts. Could they be doing more now, like signing a different free agent, a veteran free agent, uh, to, to shore up their, their offensive line 
rather than just going with sort of these practice squad type guys? I think the answer is also no there. Like I said, it's going to be a while before Don Barclay is back, so you really can't rely on him to bail you out at tackle. The free agent options are slim at this point. Uh, a few of the guys you'd consider sort of the top of the heap, uh, best tackle talent out there available would be guys like Michael Orr, King Dunlap, uh, Ryan Clady, Sebastian Vollmer, and Gosder Cherilis. All of those guys have started at times in the NFL and started fairly well in a couple cases there. They also have something else that's pretty notable in common. They all announced their retirement this offseason. Even if you throw in a guy like Brandon Albert, who retired after, I guess, getting a look at what things were going to be like in Jacksonville, things get pretty slim on the list of available free agent offensive tackles. There's not a lot out there. It's, it, it doesn't really look like there's a lot the Packers could be doing right now. And unfortunately, this is just how things work out sometimes. Sometimes you just get bit at one position. That seems to be what the Packers are dealing with right now. Bigger problem to me in the short term, other than just keeping Aaron Rodgers upright, and that should get better eventually, is that the Packers just can't get their hands on the ball as we move on to our second headline. The Packers have forced uh, just one turnover this season, a fumble, in the third quarter of week one. That means they've now gone nine full quarters without forcing a turnover, and they have yet to record an interception so far this season. It is the uh, just the third time since 1988, uh, including the 2004 and 2012 seasons, that the Packers have not had an interception in the first three games of the season. The Packers' defense has long made its living off of turnovers. So is this something that's going to turn around soon? I th- I'm starting to think no. I'm starting to think the Packers' defense, as it's currently formulated, is not a big turnover-forcing defense. The Packers used to be all about turnovers. Early on in Dom Capers' tenure in Green Bay, they made all sorts of progress forcing turnovers. The first three seasons that Dom Capers was in Green Bay, 2009, 2010, and 2011, the Packers forced 40, 32, and 38 turnovers. That was first, sixth, and then first again in the league in those categories. Since then, they have only ranked in the top 10 once. That was in 2014 when they were eighth and only uh, above 18th one other time. That was last year when they ranked 11th. The Packers are are just not a turnover-forcing team anymore, and I think this has a lot to do with personnel. In 2009, 2010, and 2011, you had a bunch of guys who really made their living off of turnover. Charles Woodson was as, as good of, of a player as you'll ever see as forcing turnovers. Interceptions, uh, fumbles, whatever. He was all over the place and just had a knack for the football. Clay Matthews tended to force a lot of fumbles, um, sacking the quarterback, getting to the quarterback very quickly. Tremont Williams was also very good uh, in the secondary, and Nick Collins was certainly no slouch either. One of the most memorable plays of the Super Bowl was him returning an interception for a touchdown. The Packers really don't have any guys like that anymore. Clay Matthews certainly isn't that type of player at this point in his career, though he is playing well this season, and they really don't have that ball-hawking sort of player in the secondary 
making making plays, getting interceptions, forcing turnovers, and things like that. The Packers have really hardly even gotten their hands on any passes this season, not even in terms of an interception, just to break up a pass. It, it has not happened that much, and it's really, I think, hurting the defense. It'll be interesting to see how this turns around, if at all. Finally, before we get to our main topic for today, Aaron Rodgers is off to a really weird start this season. Read the full post on this on thepowersweep.com. Rodgers is currently leading the league in completions for the first time, attempts for the first time, sacks for the first time since 2012, yardage lost due to sacks for the first time ever. Uh, Those are really unusual numbers for Aaron Rodgers, who has been more an efficiency sort of passer than a volume sort of passer. Uh, Rodgers has also posted his highest interception percentage since 2010. 2.2% of his passes are being intercepted right now. That is the highest it's been in quite some time. He's also now thrown an interception in three straight regular season games, and dating back to the playoffs last year, five consecutive games. It's only the third time in his career he's had a a streak of five games. He's only had a streak of five or more games four times in his career. And I think that six-game streak that he had went all the way back to 2008. Rodgers does not turn the ball over a lot, so it's really surprising to see him kind of in this situation where turnovers seem to be coming in bunches. I think these trends will even out over the, the course of the season. I think ultimately you'll see him pass a little bit less, drop down the the, the charts on those numbers a little bit. I think you're going to see his interceptions go down a little bit too, just as they sort of uh, give him a little bit more time, uh, get the offensive line healthy, and just as he returns to more the the player that we, we know uh, from the course of his career. But still, a little bit odd to see at the start of this season. We've got a good interview coming up this week. I'm, I'm very excited about this one. If you've been following the Power Sweep for any amount of time, or dating back to my days uh, doing Packer Perspective, you know that I have a deep and abiding love for uniforms, specifically those of the Green Bay Packers. There is a person out there whose love and uh, devotion to uniforms goes even far beyond mine, and his name is Chance Michaels. He runs the website, uh, the Twitter account mainly, I guess you would say, the the Dapper Packer. His website is the wearing of the green and gold, although if you type in thedapperpacker.com, you will get there. He is an expert on all things uniforms as it pertains to the Packers, and he is going to talk to us in just a couple minutes. But first, I wanted to make you aware of something that's going to be going on behind the scenes, uh, or why something that may have affected you um, is happening here at the Power Sweep. There's a good chance that as you're listening to this episode uh, on your Apple device, uh, there are about 47 or 48 other episodes of Blue 58 that have downloaded themselves to your phone uh, within the last 24 hours or so. That is not a mistake. That is something that has happened as a result of us changing our podcast hosting service once again. Uh, we, we tried things out with Libsyn for a while. We liked them, but we had an opportunity to change to something that appears to be even a, a little bit better for us, and we're really eager to, to do to. To, uh, to be able to use it. It's a service called Pippa, and that's, it's really, it, that's not really the point of what I'm trying to tell you here. The point is, there is a reason that you suddenly got all of these episodes again, and that's because we've had to redo uh, our podcast feed one more time. This is going to be the last time. We will not have to, to deal with this again, I promise, because we're going to stick with this company 
for as long as we possibly can. We like some of the things that they give us. But that is why that happened. I'm sorry that it's happened. Um, it won't happen again. And, and we are thankful for your patience and your continued support of Blue 58 and the Power Sweep. Let's talk with Chance Michaels. Blue 58! We are pleased to be joined today by Chance Michaels, the man behind the dapperpacker.com. Chance, thanks so much for joining us. Very happy to be with you today. You are, without a doubt, the most studious Packers uniform researcher I have ever encountered. People who are familiar with your current site will know the level of work that you do, but you also had a a long, long run with the wearing of the green and gold as well. How did uniforms become your thing? Well, you know, I've always been interested in the intersection of sports and design. Uh, And I think in, in a small way, it's one of the reasons that the Packers continue to connect to people in Wisconsin, even in the downtimes, even in the bad years. You know, you look at the team and you still see the those Super Bowl teams. You still see the team that Lombardi coached. You still see, you know, um, uh, Favre and, and uh, you know, another miraculous comeback. You still have a very, very instant visual and emotional connection with the team, but I think they've been very smart in how they've cultivated that and how they've managed to to maintain that visual continuity. I remember how I got into the study of Packers uniforms in particular. Um, this is back in the early 90s um, when I was completely unaware that there was ever a time that they weren't the green and the gold and that they hadn't been wearing um, that classic Lombardi uniform since the days that they sprung forth, fully formed from the head of Curly Lambeau. Um, I was in an antique shop in Milwaukee, and I picked up an old copy of the Packers fight song, Go You Packers Go. And I was looking at the sheet music for this song and following along with the lyrics. And I came to the point where where the lyrics said, you blue and gold to glory. And I stopped. And I thought about it, and I went back, and I'd been thinking about the Packers as the green and gold, you know, capital G, capital G, for so long in my head, as sort of synonymous with the team, that it hadn't really ever occurred to me that they might have had, you know, another identity before that. And it was that, coupled with the next year when the NFL did its first throwback event for the 75th anniversary of the league and the Packers brought in a variation of the throwback uniform that they're wearing now as an alternate. And I realized there's a whole story out there that I've never even thought about. And I really got, got into it. And I think to this day, I'm probably the only Packer collector who isn't really interested in anything after, you know, like the 1940s. (laughs) My specialty is the current era and that's it. Um, This whole world that I didn't even know existed uh, for so long. And we will touch a little bit more on that uniform history in a second, but I wanted to to talk to you this week and bring you on to our podcast this week because it's it's an unusually notable week as far as the Packers in uniforms go. It's color rush this week. The Packers playing Thursday night against the Chicago Bears at home, and uh, as a result, they'll be wearing their color rush uniforms. Packers relatively unique in that their color rush uniforms don't actually feature a lot in the way of color. What do you think of these uniforms generally? I think it's really interesting. I mean, the the Packers don't have a, a very long history of wearing white at home. Um, they did it for a couple of games in the 80s. You know, there are teams like the the Saints and the Buccaneers and, you know, mainly 
warm weather teams, they start off the season wearing white and they'll switch to their colors going on. Um, I'm not a huge fan of wearing white at home because, you know, with the exception of maybe a team like the Cowboys who have made white their primary jersey, you know, I kind of feel like you, you, you wear your best look at home. But I'm interested in the, the color rush uniforms, um, particularly because the Packers kept their road jerseys and then just paired them with a pair of pants to match. But the pants don't exactly match. And this is the kind of level of, of detail that keeps me up at night. It you know, makes me write a blog and publish a zine and do all the other crazy things I've done um, in talking about this team. Um, the Packers or Lombardi's original road uniform, right? The white jersey had alternating green and gold stripes on the sleeves. Over time, that's been tweaked a little bit. And at some point in the, the team's history, so that they would kind of locate the home stripe. Um, that is to say, you know, you've got the, the gold and white surrounded by green, right? Gold, green, white, gold, green, gold to mimic the striping of the helmet and the striping of the pants along the cuffs of the jersey, and the, or the, the neck rather of the jersey, and the on the shoulders. Well, they did the same thing with the road jerseys. They added a thin little white stripe there to break up the green and the gold. And when the Packers originally unveiled their color rush pants, they had to match the jerseys. But when they actually took the field, their pants didn't have the little white stripes. And they just had green and gold stripes together, much like the original Lombardi road jerseys. I'm kind of curious as to how that decision was made. And, and I think it actually looks a lot better without the white. I think that putting you know, gold and white together can be a little bit visually tricky to the eye. There's not a, a huge difference to the colors that so kind of muddies the thing. So if there is a different route that the Packers, you think, could have gone to make things a little bit more interesting, there are a couple routes they could have, you could have targeted if they wanted to go with a, a really historic, historical, I guess, sort of uniform. Would you like to, to have seen them go with something that's all yellow or all green, like something from way back in the dark ages of Packers history? Yeah, there is, uh, there is actually historical that they did wear uh, gold top to bottom, gold pants, gold jerseys, gold helmets uh, in the 50s very briefly. And they also wore uh, green jerseys over green pants. Um, I, when the Color Rush program was first announced, I actually almost thought they might go in, in one of the directions to just sort of um, you know, do a bit of a throwback and put this huge um, visual splash of color on the, on the field. You know, I kind of like to see them go gold over gold over gold and just see what that looks like under the lights at Lambeau Field on uh, on a Thursday night. We talked a little bit about throwbacks there just for a second. The Packers will wear their throwback uniforms in November at home against the Ravens. How do you feel about this set of throwbacks? I know I have quite a few thoughts about them, but uh, but I'm interested on your take. Uh, I, I have a slightly mixed feelings about them. On the one hand, I really like the Packers uniform, and I'm a bit sad that at every time they don't wear it. Um, Joe DiMaggio once said that he gave his all at every game because every time, every game he played was was some kid's first or only opportunity to see him play. And I kind of feel like if I if I was the kind of person who only got to Lambeau Field once and I went to Lambeau Field and they weren't wearing the green and gold, 
um, you know, I might feel a bit cheated in that. So I, I have a, a, a slight hesitation about wearing them, period. Um, that having been said, I'm glad that they're embracing a bit of their pre-Vince Lombardi identity. I mean, for a lot of Packers fans for, for a long time, including myself, you know, the, the history kind of started in 1959, right? It started with with uh, Vince Lombardi and, and Lambeau was a stadium, not a man. One of the things that really intrigued me when I first um, started researching the team is I kind of stumbled into realizing that there was a history that extended back beyond that period. I mean, I knew that they did. I mean, everyone was talking about, you know, at the time they were really playing up, uh, you know, established 1921, 1921. Now they're going with, you know, since 1919 when the team was actually founded, not when it joined the league, but when it was actually founded. And and there's a greater willingness and, and ability to recognize the really grand and glorious history of the team. And it's nice to see that represented. It's nice to see them really embrace that. We're talking with Chance Michaels, the man behind the dapperpacker.com, talking all things Packers uniforms, particularly as it pertains to Color Rush this Thursday. So say you switch places with Mike Murphy and you are now the CEO of the Green Bay Packers. What throwback uniform are you picking for the Packers to wear? Uh, I think I might go with the one that they wore when they won the championship in 1936. And that was a Kelly Green, excuse me, that was a Kelly Green jersey with gold pants, athletic gold, that yellowy gold pants and numbers and athletic gold sleeves. So it was a very bright combination. I'd kind of like to see that one brought back, and in part because it's it's an unusual uh, look for the Packers, something a little bit different. As far as the Packers' current uniforms go, is there anything that you'd change? You have very in-depth thoughts on the uniform set as it as it is. What would you change? I guess I know there are some things that you would change. What what would those things be? Well, when you study a, a subject that is seemingly as constant and unchanging as the Packers uniforms, you kind of have to get into the real details, the real granular level. Um, I think that they're really close to, to sort of my platonic ideal of what a Packers uniform would be. Um, the only changes I would make are I would consider going back to Lombardi's original design. Um, and as strange as it kind of may seem um, there are a bunch of changes that they made in the intervening years. I'd pull the stripes off the neckline and go with something a little bit simpler. I just go for a solid green Jersey. I would try to bring the, the five stripes back on the sleeves. Those were eliminated uh, in the nineties, mostly because football uniforms don't have sleeves anymore. So uh, sleeve stripes don't make a lot of sense. Um, I would also uh, change the number font just a little bit. When Lombardi first uh, introduced his new uniforms, when he took over with the Packers and introduced the new uniforms, they had very bold sans serif numbers. The serifs are the little lines on the edges of um, on the edges of letters and numbers. Like if you look at a one, um, the serif is the little horizontal bar across the bottom and a little uh, usually angled bar across the top. Um, the original numbers that they used were more of a sans serif, a little bit bolder, a little bit different, unlike anything else that's being worn in the NFL right now. Um, so that's probably a change that I would make. 
And then as we talked about just a few minutes ago, I probably changed the road uniforms to be more like the striping that uh, that were present on those original glory days. Just green and gold, no little white stripes in between. Once again, he is Chance Michaels of thedapperpacker.com. You can find him at that website and on Twitter under the same name. Chance, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you. A big thanks to Chance Michaels for joining us again on Blue 58 this week. Big fan of the work that he does at The Dapper Packer. You can find all of his writing at thedapperpacker.com. Hey, while I've got you here, I wanted to offer just one thought on the National Anthem protest situation. I know I can hear your eyes rolling right now. Just give me a couple minutes. This is going to be the last time that we talk about this in any sort of significant depth. I saw a tweet today that I thought was pretty representative of the entirety of what I think is wrong with what's going on here. Sports writers said, if you're anti-Neil, then you're choosing to focus on the form of protest rather than discussing the issue being protested. There are some things to like about that tweet, but I think on the whole, it is wrong-headed because it reduces this entire situation to a dichotomy that may not be entirely accurate. And I think that is the whole problem with what's going on right here with this situation. I think it's entirely possible that someone could be against the decision for players to kneel or do whatever they're doing during the national anthem while still respecting their right to demonstrate and supporting their motives for doing so. That motive, I think, has also been lost in the struggle over symbolism and veterans and the flag and Donald Trump and Roger Goodell responding and then all 32 NFL teams responding and then many players responding and then some players responding in the wrong way or doing the wrong thing or just getting some wires crossed there. I think we've lost some of what's what started this whole thing to begin with. That motive, by the way, uh, was pretty clearly expressed by Colin Kaepernick. He said exactly why he was kneeling. Here is his direct quote, and I quote, I am not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color, end quote. This is probably, like I said, the last time we're going to spend any amount of time talking about this situation, although I do reserve the right for us to bring it up again as and when we would like to. That could happen. I intend for this to be the last time, but that could happen. But I just want to leave you with this thought. We are increasingly incapable as a society uh, on the internet, in real life, everywhere, of approaching an issue with any kind of nuance or humility or ability to even try to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. Everyone on the opposite side of the position that we take is automatically wrong, even if we haven't taken the time to understand their opinion or where they're coming from. That is just flat out wrong, and we can't operate that way anymore. It would be wise for those of us who support players taking a knee to consider why people might be reacting negatively toward those players taking that particular action during the national anthem. On the flip side, it would be just as wise for people getting mad at these athletes and their coaches and anybody who supports them to consider the message behind the protest, however far removed we might be from that original context right now. At least take some time to consider what they're saying. Don't just reduce them to an action that you're seeing on Sunday. Approaching each other with grace and respect and humility is the only thing that's going to make any of this any better. 
And until we can do that, there's very little of hope that anybody is going to be able to talk about anything else for the foreseeable future. That's all I've got to say on the Anthem thing. Let's put it to rest for now. I think that's about a show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us, as always, at thepowersweep.com. That's where you will find all of our articles and updates and podcasts and fun stuff that we've got going on. You may also connect with us via Facebook and Twitter. We are at facebook.com slash thepowersweep or at thepowersweep on twitter.com. Now coming to you in 280-character bursts. You may reach us via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. I have some enjoyable conversations going on with a couple of you there. Never hesitate to reach out because it makes us at the Power Sweep and Blue 58 better. That makes everything that we produce better. And ultimately, that helps us all in our goal of becoming smarter Packers fans. And as I always like to say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. Uh, I am John Mirnick. I have been your host. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the game Thursday night. We will see you next week here on Blue 58. Mm-hmm.